Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you're with us, that your promises are real and true. And Lord God, we thank you that tonight you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and heart to grasp the revelation of your love, that sense of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Lord God, that the promises that you've promised us are true, are real. They are for us today. For the moments that we live here, the things that we need, you are with us. And I bind the powers of darkness, especially the spirits of fear and confusion, anxiety, uh, condemnation and guilt that would try to make us believe that somehow we have to earn your love and that we're not good enough. I pray, Father God, that you would give us peace in our minds and hearts and even in our situations that even tonight as we're listening you would cause the Holy Spirit to apply what we're talking about to our various individual lives and situations, that you will make that application, that people will be encouraged, Lord God, that the enemy cannot discourage us or snatch the promises, the goodness, and the revelation of Jesus Christ from us, Lord God, as we understand so well that the battle really is in our minds and in our souls and in the dispute between our souls and our spirits. Father God, and we thank you for divine protection we ask that you cover us, Lord God, in all that pertains to us, our loved ones, our families, those who work for us, pray for us, love us, and the things you've called us to do, Lord God, that they bring forth much fruit, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach, Father God. And so we ask you now to give us peace and wisdom. Again, you said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Amen. Well, I want to welcome welcome you all tonight to uh, Rescue Radio, and it's about the promises. What about the promises of God? Um, A lot of us, you know, uh, when you think of the word promise, you think of something that's been said, something that has been indicated that it's a future blessing or situation, reward that's going to come to you. It's a promise that's been made to you. And oftentimes, um, we learned about promises when we were little kids. Uh, our parents would say, you know, if you be good, um, if you do your chores, if you make your bed, if you clean your room, then I will, we'll go, I promise you, we'll go to, you know, whatever, Dairy Queen or go get you, uh, whatever. It's a, the promises were always contingent upon us doing something. And I think we carry that over, that first um, learning into our relationship with God and understand and think about his promises the same way. In other words, I've got to do something to have something. I've got to do something and to earn something. And that's the devil's way of, of uh, working out the world. He, he, he says, you've got to do something in order to have something so you can be something. And so it's all about working, striving, um, you know, diligently pursuing, being responsible, um, 
cleaning your plate, whatever it is. It's all about that rather than just about being and abiding. So being, resting, abiding, receiving are really foreign to us. As a matter of fact, when Jesus brings his good news of the gospel of grace, it seems like uh, too good to be true. It seems like uh, there's a catch. We're very suspicious of things. There's nothing for free. I mean, we kind of get a skeptical look at everything and don't really believe what God is saying. So it's always we're looking at the word of God, the promises of God, the actions of God through a, a lens of skepticism and works and earning. So tonight we're going to talk about the promises of God and how important it is. We've been talking kind of over the last couple of months about grace and um, salvation and the, and the free gift of God. Um, and we've been talking about law and how the law interferes with the gifts. And law in, implies that we must do something. We must earn. Um, we must be good enough, etc., to have what God has already promised us. And so tonight we're going to take another look at it from the aspect of promises. Uh, as you know, there are certain things that are just simply, they're just simply gifts. You cannot earn them. You cannot buy them. Um, you cannot buy healing, for example. You, can't, you can go to the doctor. You can give them a lot of money to help you get well. Uh, but really, healing comes as a gift, and it comes as a, um, a result of uh, God's goodness to us and also the gifts he's given our body to be able to heal itself if we will um, you know, abide by the rules. of. And there are rules there, yes. But the gift of healing comes from God. And the gift of salvation comes from God. Now, again, there are requirements, and it is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. So these gifts, there is a requirement, but it's not about works. It's about, uh, because everything's based on faith, everything's based on whose report you're going to believe, there has to be a response to the divine offer. He offers you eternal life. He offers you salvation. He offers you um, peace. And there has to be a response to that. He doesn't, God does not just come and force us to take his peace, his salvation. He doesn't force anyone to go to heaven, nor does he force anyone to go to hell. Um, he offers us. And this, because it's faith, we have to accept it. That's the simple, the way the deal works. I mean, it's that, that way in the world as well. You know, you can't take the offer if you don't accept the offer. And um, nobody, unless, of course, there's a coercion and people are, th- are you know, then you're enslaved and, and captured and in bondage and kidnapped and they're not free to do anything. But tonight, so we're going to talk about promises. And I want you to think about some promises, whether they're in the word of God and possibly promises that he has made to you individually. And uh, you need to brighten up a little bit, brighten up, lighten up. And believe that God, if he's given you a promise, he is going to fulfill it, just like he did with Abraham. You know, the other morning we woke up and I looked out the east window. It was kind of early in the morning and the sky was red and lowering and ugly. Lowering is a Bible word. And Jesus said, you read the sky and you can tell the weather. Well, it looked just pure ugly. It looked uh, very threatening. It was the most ugly sunrise I'd ever seen in my life, actually. Um, But it's kind of interesting because I walked over to the west window and I saw this beautiful rainbow, totally perfect, right over our place. I mean, it was just like perfectly, not over to the, in the distance, right by us, you know. And, and so I thought, wow, what a contrast. Here on the one side, we have the threatening skies. The, and by the way, the, the weather that day was horrific, terrible. There was lots of rain and hail and 
flooding and all kinds of things that went on. Fortunately, it missed us, but nonetheless, it was there. Um, so we, and then I thought of the promises, the promise that came with the rainbow. And then I started to think about promises, and I thought, you know, the rainbow was not the first promise God made. The rainbow, we all know that God made the, the, the promise that he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. And he gave the rainbow as a symbol or a sign or a sealing, uh, a signature on that, that pact, that covenant, that promise, that he was not going to destroy the world with a flood any, anymore again. Uh, although there are floods, but not a worldwide flood that wipes everything out. And we've talked in the past about why he had to do that flood. It wasn't because he was wicked and evil, but because he was very loving and kind and just, and he had to purge the world of the, of the, the Nephilim and the man-eating, blood-drinking uh, giants and things that were flooding the land. Violence was filling the land completely. Um, but anyway, going back to the first promises, the very, very first promise God gave was the, gar- the, the garden promise, the promise made in the garden when, you know, Adam and Eve, they had done, they'd sinned, they'd, they'd blown it, they disobeyed, they got tricked. They got deceived, and because they were deceived, they bought into the lie, and as a result of that, they lost everything. I mean, can you imagine, I mean, just on a smaller scale, let's just say that you're, you're a kid, you're a teenager, you just got your driver's license, and, and um, your dad, you know, you begged God, and dad gave you the car for the night, brand new car, his brand new car, and you took it out and smashed it. Now, you came home, you were alive, but the car was like totaled or really badly damaged. And you know how you felt. Ooh, I didn't want to, you know, I mean, you just didn't want to go home. You just didn't want to say anything. You just wanted to hide. You just wanted to, you know, whatever. But, but you had no choice because dad was going to find out about it. And so that's what Adam and Eve had. They had lost, they'd smashed the car. They had lost everything that God had given them. He'd given them everything and it wasn't that they were ungrateful. It was just that they were tricked. And it was a setup by the enemy. Um, so they were in this place where God was very furious, angry, because they had come into agreement with the lie, been tricked into it, actually. And the devil had taken advantage of them and their naivety and their gullibility and taken everything stolen from them, their authority, the garden, the world, their, their administration of, of the world, Everything, their, their generations to come, their offspring, their everything, their health, even their relationship with God was, was stolen. You know. And so God made a promise at that point. He said, that was his very first promise, that he was going to send a head crusher. He was going to send, you know, because the devil had taken such advantage of the woman, God was going to actually use the woman to bring forth the, the destruction of the evil one by bringing forth someone from her seed that would crush this serpent who was Satan, crush his head. Now, this, this wasn't the first time God and Satan had had a run-in, obviously. This whole thing had started way before Adam and Eve were even sh- talked, talked about or showing up on the planet. It, was started, it started in heaven when Satan, uh, Lucifer, the light bearer, rebelled against God. He had it in his heart that he could be God and he would just have to take one giant step forward, and he would be king of the mountain. So he encouraged and got about a third of the angels to go with him. And when God cast him out of heaven, 
uh, Satan being homeless, uh, just fell to the earth. And so he looked at the place and said, hmm, this looks like a nice place. I think I'll take it. He was a little jealous and ticked off anyway because God had created this man and this woman from his own, out of his own image, according to his own image, and, and Satan knew that they were very prized, very precious to God, and so, of course, that made them his enemy as well. So when God made that first promise, it was the promise of redemption, but God didn't go into a lot of depth about it. He just said, you know, it's going to come. He didn't say when, and that's the problem with promises. You don't always know when, and it gets to be a long wait sometimes, and then that waiting period becomes the test of our faith, as we'll see a little later. So we have the garden promise, and then we have the call of Abraham. Um, God was still working. He was working towards keeping his promise, and though everything didn't always look like that, that was what God had in his heart. So first of all, he had made the promise to Adam and Eve, to that their seed, the DNA, the, the offspring from their bodies, um, the woman would bring forth the Savior, the head crusher. Didn't learn anything about what that would look like. Didn't even know that would require this, this head crusher to die. Didn't know what that meant, that, he would, that the devil would bruise his heel. Didn't know any of that. I mean, you could just, there was not much detail given in that promise. But when we get to Abraham, now we see that things had again gotten really bad, even after the flood. Um, this was not, not long after the flood, actually. Um, I think Noah and Noah's some of his grandsons were still alive uh, when Abraham showed up on the scene because Abraham actually had you know, talked with them and knew them. Uh, but so Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees was the Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans were the... They were p- pagans. They were idolaters. They were um, dwelt in the east. And God said, get up from this land and I will show you where to go. So Abraham got up and God says, here's the promise. Here's what I want to do. I want to set you apart. I want to call you um, as the father of my nation, many nations, uh, give you a son and heir, give you some land and uh, set you up, establish you as my own people. So God was looking forward to, through this promise that he was making to Abraham, to work towards completing his first promise, which was to bring salvation. Now, I'm going to turn for a minute, and by the way, if you have any things that you want to enter into or chat with me about, enter the chat room and chat, write down some of the things you come up with that you think of as promises that God has made in the book, in the Bible. There's wonderful promises. You need to think about them. Keep them in mind. Meditate on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and of good report, and stop being so negative about everything because, you know, that is only an open door for the devil. And the more you think negatively and the more you feel guilty and the more you feel unworthy, the more you give the devil opportunity to bring to pass the very thing that um, he wants to bring to pass in your life, which is chaos and confusion and destruction. So if we go to Romans chapter 4, we're, we're seeing Paul. Paul is constantly making uh, the arguments to set up an understanding of law versus grace the bond woman versus the free woman. Um, it's just, it, this is, the, this is the, the war, really. Satan has tried to make everything about what works, about law, about sin, about failure, about you're not good enough to go to heaven. Uh, and God has made everything about, I love you. It's okay. You're forgiven. Come unto me, all you that labor 
it's okay, you're forgiven, I love you all the time, constantly. And, and the devil, is, with this constant badgering in our lives, uh, has kind of often got our ear and our attention. So it, it, get, it gets to be quite the battle, unless, of course, we're meditating on the Word of God. Now go to Romans chapter 4, um, verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Or what, what did Abraham find out? What, what, what did he learn? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. So if Abraham was being a good kid, a good guy, and he did what was, he was told, he would receive a reward, of course, and he would have earned it, and he could boast. But what does it say in verse 3? For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was Abraham's faith. And out of his faith, there was action. That's where we get a little confused. We think that action comes first. Then comes the reward. No. First comes faith in the word of promise. Then comes the action. Then comes the reward. So Abraham got up as a response to God's call. So that call came as a response to his faith in believing, trusting that God was telling the truth. God was going to keep his word. God is good. God does not lie. That's what the promises are all based on, that God cannot lie. And that's a very sure foundation. I mean, even though you wait, 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 and it doesn't look like anything's going to happen in your own life. Think about it. You know, what are you waiting for? What have you been enduring to get to the promise? What are you hoping for? What have you been praying for? And, and the Bible says in First John, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and we know that we have the things that we've asked of him. So obviously, if you're asking something according to God's will, you know that he hears you, you know that you have what you've asked for. But you say, well, wait a minute, I've asked a lot of things according to God's will and I didn't get them or I didn't get them yet or it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to get them or whatever. And part of that is because a lot of times there, there is an element of receiving, accepting, believing, uh, and agreeing with the truth. It's not just believing. It's, uh, it's, it's agreeing with the truth. And a lot of times when you're asking for something, it's not just your will that's involved in somebody else's will as well. And if they're not believing the truth and if they can't you know, get hooked up with the truth, then you may have a delay on what you're asking for. But God is able to work all things out together for good. Don't know how he does that. But ultimately, all of these things are worked together for good. So verse 3. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So he's saying, if you're working, you're earning. You, you, des- you deserve. God owes you. If, you could, if we could earn our way to heaven, that wouldn't really be fair because some people have more c- capabilities of earning um, and doing good, whatever that would look like, than other people. And so it's not fair. But if it's just simply a matter of accepting even the tiniest child, the, the most impoverished beggar, can accept, believe. It, it takes a lot of courage sometimes to accept because there's so much stuff in the way like, I'm bad, I'm not good, I'm stupid, who me? What promises? Um, you know, I've never seen God do anything good. All these lies, all these experiences that we we bank on have become our enemy because they they testify against the truth. They testify for the lie because a lot of times reality is the biggest enemy to the truth there is. 
because reality says, well, it can't be. But God says, but it is. You know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he, he looked like a pauper, a pauper. He looked like he was impoverished, but he was the king of kings and owned all the wealth of the universe, actually. Uh, reality says he'll never amount to anything. The truth is he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So you can't go by appearances and you can't go by reality and experiences in your own life either. But if you're going to do that, making your life, your reality, your experiences, your past, your God, and that's the idol you worship, then you're letting your future your, your, be determined by your past. And therefore, whatever happened in your past will continue to happen in the future. You'll never see any real changes. You'll never see any breakthroughs, any deliverances, because you've already given permission to the past to be your guide, your idol. So experiences, what it feels like, what it looks like, what happened to you, though it really happened, isn't necessarily the truth. It really happened. It truly happened. We're not saying it didn't happen. But your perceptions of what really happened is more real to you than what really happened because a lot of times your sibling or someone else can have the same pretty much experience and have a totally different perception or perspective or outcome on the same event. So it's, it's really about perceptions and how the devil wants to shade those, twist those. So think about this for a minute. Are you what the devil's taught you to be and programmed you to be, or are you who God says you are? Which one brings freedom? Going back to the word, um, talking about grace, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted to right, for righteousness, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. How many of us spent a whole lot of time, especially in your early life, trying to equal the balances between good and evil, good deeds and sin. You know, you try to make up for the bad things by doing lots of good things and you lost track after a while because it was so much work and it wasn't working. And but so David says just blessed. Hey, the guy who gets, you know, who wins the lottery, the guy who um gets a free ticket to um, you know, Disney World. I mean, He's blessed. He's forgiven. He doesn't. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He just got lucky, so to say. But the luck he had was the blessings of God. Now, verse nine: Does this blessedness come upon upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? So now Paul is talking about the two groups of people. There's really only two groups of people in the world: the Jews and the Gentiles. This, and and at, this, at this point, I mean, there's actually another group. It's the Jews, the Gentiles, and the saved. But um, if you want to break it down a little bit. So he's saying there was the group that was circumcised. He says, does this blessedness, this relationship with God, this calling of God, come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? Now, of course, Paul's going to make a, he's going to make a, a, a point for the uncircumcised because he's going to the Gentiles. He wants the Gentiles to know that they're also included in the, the salvation, in the promises of God. He says, for, what? For, we say, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Okay, so we're saying that Abraham got righteous because of his faith. Abraham was righteous, considered righteous, because he believed God and he believed God's promises. How then was it accounted? How then was his righteousness accounted or um, summed up or determined? While he was circumcised, or uncircumcised. Now, this is very important. W- what happened first? 
not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So what, what would the order of events here is very important, the order of operations. First, Abraham was called by God. He responded to the call. He got up. He walked out of his land. He followed Jesus. He, I follow, follow the Spirit of God, I should say. And he wasn't circumcised. He was just obeying. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, which he, that, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be, might, might be imputed to them also. So he's saying here that he was righteous apart from circumcision. Circumcision came as a seal or a sign um, that he was uh, righteous but it didn't make him righteous you know uh, he was already okay he was already valid his faith was valid and this was just simply an indication of it a sign of it and so he was received righteousness through faith and then the sign that the seal of circumcision was added but does that sign or circumcision or that act or that work of the law, so to speak, does, is that necessary to make us, to make our faith work? Absolutely not. So he was the father of circumcision to those who believed, but he's not the father only to those who believed and put on and got circumcised, but also to the uncircumcised, those who walk in the steps of faith that Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So in other words, it doesn't matter. The, the, the circumcision, uncircumcision issue is not the issue. It's, it's not even a discussion. But at that point where God said, Abraham, sacrifice, I mean, uh, circumcise everybody. And he went back and said the same thing to Moses. At that point, it was important for one reason. And the reason was that it was identifying clearly in the midst of a very heathen, pagan world, the, 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 the followers of God, the, um, because that that was at that point their act of acceptance, their act of obedience, their um, agreement with the covenant, with the promise. Today, our agreement is indicated often through baptism, although baptism does not save us, just like circumcision doesn't save us. Baptism is an act of obedience, just like circumcision was. So back in the days of Abraham and Moses, this was very important because the devil was raising um, a dispute with God about God's people and was trying to um, accuse various ones of not being God's. But if they were circumcised, then God was able to say, no, they're mine. They've got my seal, my mark, even though maybe they weren't following so in such a passionate way. Nonetheless, that was important for the day. However, Paul is saying we're turning into a new era, a new dispensation in the fact that now we've got Gentiles to want to get in, they believe in Jesus, they believe the gospel of grace, do they have to be circumcised? Here, verse 13, for the promise, here we go, that the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but to the righteousness of faith. Abraham did, see, going back to as kids, we believe we get the promises because we do the good thing, we do the right thing, we do our chores. Here he's saying the promises of God did not come because of anything good we did. As a matter of fact, the promise came because of something bad we did. We got in trouble and we needed God to get us out because we couldn't get ourselves out. So the promise, the call of Abraham, the promises of God were given through Abraham's faith. Now let's go on to see, not through the law, 
very important, but through faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is, of, uh, is made void and the promises made of no effect. So if it's all dependent on works and rewards and law and obedience to the law, then the promise is not freely given. The promise is you earn, you've earned it. You, de- you deserve it. It's not a promise anymore. It's, a, it's wages. But God wants to know that he's giving us these things, not that we can earn them or not we, that we can't earn them. We need to know our place. Our place is, Lord, have mercy on me. I can of my own self do nothing. Instead of trying to think that I can do everything and get rid of my sin and make God happy with me and, um, you know, whatever, you know, just that's the way you learned growing up. I got to make my parents happy. I got to take care of them. I got to this and that. But that's not the way it works with God. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promises are of no effect because the law brings about wrath. Notice that the law brings wrath. Isn't that the truth? When you stop, get stopped by the officer going too fast, speeding, and the, 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 the zone is marked with a certain speed limit, and that's the law, and you break it, there's wrath. And that wrath usually comes in the form of a speeding ticket. Um, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Notice that. Very important little key phrase here. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. You can flip that around, and it's just as true. You can say, and where there is a law, there is transgression. Now, where there is a law, there is a transgression. Where there is a law, there is sin. Where there is trans- a law, there is breaking of the law. Where there's breaking of the law, there's guilt and an opportunity for Satan to set you up with an accusation, bring guilt, shame, condemnation, and bring in his three friends to steal from you that which is good and right and, and rightfully yours. Guilt says he's got his three friends, pain which brings punishment, penalty. And then he's got um, shame, which says, I am bad, which screws up your immune system, which makes you sick, which is infirmity. And then you've you've got the thief who says, you don't deserve the blessings because you're guilty. So if the devil can get us to hang on to the law as Christians, as believers, and, and mix our walk with God with law, we've missed something here because we've given ourselves, we've given ourselves over to a, becoming, continuing to be very vulnerable to the devil, who then says, ah, you broke that law, you stepped on a crack on the sidewalk, you're bad, da-da-da. And, you know, and so that kind of, constantly is trying to cancel out, can I lose my salvation? Am I bad? You know, it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. If you would just stop letting everything else, everybody else, including the devil, who impersonates you to yourself, be your, your, be your counselor and try to get you, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. If you'd stop giving that job to the devil and the pious deceivers and let the Holy Spirit do it, you could relax, it would get done right, and you'd stay in peace. A lot of people are so desirous to serve God that the devil takes advantage of that and he comes in and pretends to be you and talks to you about all the bad things you did and what you don't deserve and da-da-da until you're so screwed up, all your world becomes is about getting rid of your sin. I'm so bad, I don't deserve the promises of God. And you know when you don't walk in the promises of God, to anybody else about the promises of God, how can you talk to them about salvation? You're missing the point, people. You're missing the whole point of life when you make it all about you and all about your sin. It's not about us. It's not about our sin. That's been taken care of. That's not the issue anymore. That Does that mean we're 
never going to sin again? No. Does it mean I want to sin? No. It means that if I get tricked into sinning, believing a lie and sinning, then God is faithful who's going to take care of it. He's going to lead me into all truth. He's going to um, deliver me. He's going to, through the Holy Spirit, he's going to set me free from the lies. So now let's keep going on with Abraham for a little minute here. Therefore, verse 8, 16, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that would be the first batch of people who came before Jesus, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, in the, in the beginning, they had law. Law was the demonstration of their faith and obedience because they were obedient. They did the circumcision. They were, they were demonstrating their faith that way. We demonstrate our faith by following Jesus, by preaching the gospel, by loving one another, by reading the word, by um, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, and casting out demons. That's how we practice our faith. Now listen to Abraham. As it is written, um, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they exist, as though they, they not, not as though they exist. So they're existing by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So by faith, Abraham was the father of many nations and he had no kids. By faith, Abraham owned all that land and he had to buy a piece of property to bury Sarah in. You say, well, he was ripped off. That was stupid. God wasn't keeping his promises. But yes, he did. God kept his promises. But there was a time, a duration, uh, testing, a season of faith and faithfulness. Because the devil believes that you're going to cave. That during this time of testing, you're going to give up and say, yeah, I don't believe it. God isn't really going to do this. And I'm on my own, just like I thought. And blah, blah, blah. I might as well take care of myself. God's not there. He doesn't care about me. And you go back to that place of despair, which is a horrible place because you've been there. You don't want to go back there. The only way not to go back there is don't go back there. Okay. (laughs) Talk to yourself about that. Um, So here we go. He says, who, verse 18, who contrary to hope, Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now look, look at that. Who, when he didn't have any evidence, he didn't have any, um, you know, check in the mail. He didn't have any, you know, Sarah coming, hey, I'm pregnant. When he had none, none of that going on, he started believing. He put his hope in his faith. He put his hope in his faith because he put his faith in God. And God cannot lie. So you can put your hope in your faith. And your faith is... is, is um, put in God, rests in God, in God's faithfulness, in God's, the fact that God cannot lie. And if your God lies, you get the wrong God. God cannot lie. And so Abraham, when he didn't have any evidence other than his own faith, he says he put his hope, he, in, he hoped in what he believed. He put his hope in his faith so that he became the father of many nations, according to what God said. Now, it was many years. It was 25 years before he got Isaac. He got Ishmael 13 years in, um, and that becomes another whole discussion point. Like, why did God let Hagar get pregnant if he knew it was going to be all that problems? Well, I have, you know, because Satan wanted a, a man on the board, if you will. And that's not to say that all of Hagar's descendants are evil and wicked. Not at all. But it's to say that 
there was animosity, there was bitterness, there was strife between the two boys. And with strife and contention, Satan can always stir up a, a war. Okay, so, verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100, about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't look at the circumstances and say, it's never going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. How many of us do that? We play that record over and over the book of lies. It's never going to happen. It's never happened before. It's never going to happen. I give up. It's just not in the cards for me. Um, you know, God's promises are true for everybody else, but not me. And so we just kind of talk ourselves back into the place of the lie, the unbelief, the poor me. Do you like it there? Do you really like it there? I mean, is that the place you really want to live? Do you like it there enough to stay there or do you hate it there? If you hate it there, get out of there. And you get out of there by, by starting to tell yourself the truth. And Abraham says, yeah, I'm not going to look at it, what it looks like. I don't, you, you don't get anywhere by looking at what it looks like. As a matter of fact, appearances can be very deceptive. Jesus says you, draw, you, you make judgments based on appearances and you draw wrong conclusions. And so he doesn't recommend it. Reasoning doesn't really work. Religion doesn't really work. Only the word of God really works because only the word of God is based on God's word and what God says and what God says he holds himself to. You know, he honors his word above his name. So if you're kind of losing heart right now and thinking, oh, it's never going to happen. I don't know if heaven's for real. I can't get over that. This life is overwhelming. It's, it's consuming. I'm going to die. I can't make it financially. My kids, my this, my that. You, you can't. You can't. It's, your life is designed to be too big for you anyway. So if you've got a comment, you can call me. I'm going to give you the phone number, 347-215-8051. I know, you like to hear me talk, right? Well, you can call me. You can chit-chat. I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what you got to say. You can even argue with me if you, got, if you want to. I, I'm totally okay with discussing this stuff. I don't like to argue, but I'd love to discuss it with you if you have a question. Um, but don't be contentious, okay? We don't like contention. That's not necessary. We want true questions and honest questions so he didn't see being um old as a problem (laughs) he didn't see being broke as a problem he didn't see having no money as a problem as a matter of fact he had a lot of money it's amazing he had a lot of money and no land and no kids it's a crazy situation but um, everywhere he went he got blessed it was like really weird instead of getting murdered and killed by his enemies he got blessed and he was kind of they were afraid of him so he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. This is where he, he was the man. He, he passed his test. He did not waver. He didn't give up. He didn't get double-minded. He didn't second-guess himself. Oh, maybe I missed it. Maybe that wasn't really God. Maybe that was just me. Maybe it was just, a, uh, you know, I was just wishful thinking, and I got up and, traveled over here and drug my wife and, and all my flocks and, you know, I'm just making this up in my head. He did not waver at the promises of God. Now, I, I grant you there are some people who think they're listening to God and they're probably not. But in this case, it was God. And God had, had, was able to impress Abraham that it was God and it wasn't a figment of his imagination and it wasn't just a fluke or anything. It was truly a deal that God, a covenant that God was making with Abraham. It wasn't just a contract. It was a covenant. A covenant means that God was giving Abraham everything that God had. And 
Abraham was giving God everything he had. So God had access to all of Abraham's stuff, and Abraham had access to all of God's stuff. And that's what a covenant is. So, and being fully convinced that what he, that is God, had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Yeah. So, he, his faith, was accounted to him for righteousness. He also, as you go into verse chapter 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another promise. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I don't know why people are so afraid of grace. I think they're afraid that, you know, it's, the legalists are afraid that if you give people grace and love, if you love people, that they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to take advantage of grace and they're going to go out and sin like crazy. But if you really understand what grace is and how destitute we were and how we could of our own self do nothing and how this, that this is the demonstration of the love of God, I don't think you'd abuse grace. Grace isn't just like, okay, I can, I can sin now and get forgiveness later. A grace is you know, the mercy of God extended to us through faith. It's not something... Nothing we can do ourselves, you know, by works of righteousness, which I have done. But according to his grace and mercy, his long-suffering, he saves us. Now, listen to this. We go on. Um, verse, verse 2 in chapter 5. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What are we all looking for here? Are you looking for this world, this life to continue on and on and on, maybe get a little better? Are you looking for heaven? Are you looking for the promise? Jesus said, I'd go to prepare a mansion for you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. This is not home. You know it's not home. It doesn't feel like home. It feels like a, a rat race. It feels like an ordeal. It feels like a, um, unfair. It feels like, um, well, you put your words in there. You can, you can tell me how it feels. But this is just not home. It says, even Abraham looked for a city whose foundations and builder was God. He knew he was a pilgrim passing through, and so are we. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Whoa, okay, stop. Let's see that again. read that again. We glory in tribulations. Looking, are we looking forward to tribulations, troubles, problems? Or do we all try to get rid of our problems, solve our problems, and fix our problems? If you're trying to fix your problems, solve your problem, get rid of your problem, you're doing it backwards. You're supposed to glory in the opportunity that is before you to see how God is going to deliver you from this problem. It's his problem, not yours. It's not about God punishing you because you're bad and now you've got a problem. It's probably because you're good that you got the problem and Satan probably wanted to give you the problem, the tribulation, to see if he could test you and reduce your faith and get you to fail and give up and not glory in God but grumble. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Okay, perseverance, which means endurance. Um, we always like to be comfortable. You know, if things got to be in their place, and we like our routines, and we like everything paid on time, and we like, you know, the, our favorite foods in the, in the cupboard and the refrigerator, and we like our games and our snacks, and our, we like our, you know, everything just the way we like it. And we like everybody to like us. But we don't like tribulation which pers- which produces per- perseverance perseverance produces character now 
character, strength, integrity, honor, uh, faithfulness, uh, dependability, um, those things that, that God sees as important, character, um, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit in First Peter's of great value to God. So, and, and character pr- produces hope, H-O-P-E, hope. We're back to hope again. How does tribulation produce hope? Well, it doesn't in the people who don't know grace. It doesn't in the people who don't know God and stand on his promises. For them, tribulation produces despair, disquieting, confusion, anxiety, um, disappointment. But he says in verse 5, now hope does not disappoint. So if you get the right kind of hope, you won't be disappointed. You know, that doesn't mean you won't maybe have a temptation to be disappointed. It doesn't mean you won't have grief and, and, and have to fight some grief or guilt off. There will be temptations and trials to feel despair, disappointment. But knowing, not thinking and feeling, not hoping so, but knowing that God loves us, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For that we, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what? We don't get that part. We think we're okay. We're strong. We're tough. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to defend ourselves. Yeah, actually, you know, if you think you've got to defend yourself and be tough and strong and smart and control in control, you're listening to demons. They're trying to help you. But they're also setting you up at the same time. They're helping you. Do you get this? You got it? I hope you get it. Hey. Why don't we take a quick break while you think about that? And I'm going to listen. You're going to listen to this new CD we got out. It's actually not new. But if I'm saved, why do I still sin? That's a good question. Okay, so now I'm saved. I'm not living like I used to, but I find myself still sinning. So now I am a saved sinner, right? But how much can I sin and still be saved? Maybe I've really blown it and lost my salvation. Or... Maybe I really didn't get saved at all because the more I try to be good, the worse I seem to get. And if I can't be good at being good, maybe I should just forget this whole thing and go back to being good at being bad. All this being saved and living to please God stuff just isn't working for me. Many believers are caught in these age-old struggles. Marjorie Cole has prepared a must-hear CD entitled, If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin? This timely CD takes a clear and close look at the meaning of forgiveness and the futility of trying to be good in order to be saved. Marjorie helps you discover truth from God's Word that will give you the power and freedom to live without the frustration, discouragement, and self-condemnation you may have been going through. To order your copy of If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin? Go to liferecovery.com. Again, go to liferecovery.com. Dot com. Yeah. And it says in the word that when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, for the sinners, for us who are sinning. And we sin before we're saved. We sometimes we sin after we're saved. We sin because we're deceived. We sin because we get tricked. Not because we make bad choices. You don't want to make bad choices. You make a choice that you thought was a good choice, but you believed a lie. Therefore, it turned out to be a trick, a bad choice. And now... It, it, it pulled you into a place you don't want to be, and now you're struggling to get out of that place, and you find out just how helpless you are. And that's with the, the addictions. That's with all kinds of 
you know, self-improvements that we want to make on ourselves, we find out how weak we really are. For scarcely, it says, for a righteous man, one would die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone might die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he, we were a worthless, hopeless cause, and he took the chance on being rejected by dying for us because he knew some of us would accept him, and indeed, many have accepted him. And so that death could be stopped, the spread of death could be stopped through the love of God. It says, therefore, in verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and through death and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because of, because of all sin. See, we're all connected. We're, it was contagious. Sin was contagious because one man died. We all caught the dread disease. But, and the law could not save us. You know, the law is like a quarantine. It can maybe quarantine some, but it really can't save them or protect them. Um, nevertheless, death reigned until Jesus came. When he picked up the transgression and laid it down at the cross, he became a curse for us. And the, the gift of God then became the rest uh, grace of Jesus Christ towards us. Now let's look a few more minutes at a couple more of the promises of God because there's a lot of promises um, you know, that we have to look forward to. Number one, the promise of salvation, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you haven't accepted that promise yet, you can do that by simply do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? If you can say yes to that, next question, do you believe he rose from the dead? And if you can answer that question, did he rise from the dead and die on the cross for your sins as a, as a, in, a, in your place? Yeah. And question, is he coming back again? Yes. If you can say yes to all those questions, then technically you are saved because you have called upon the name of the Lord. You've acknowledged his salvation that is come, coming through Jesus Christ. And you are saved. Now, you may not feel saved, but you can also say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Ignite my life. Fill me up with your revelation and your truth. I'm not my own. I've been trying to live my life on my own, and it just doesn't work. I'm sick of it. I need a new life. So, so God, therefore, makes a promise to you and to everyone who calls upon him. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, it says in Romans 10:13, shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So whosoever will, this promise is, is given. There's one condition, whosoever will. Whosoever will accept it. Whosoever will believe it, grab a hold of it. The, um, the, another promise the Lord gave us is, is uh, life after death. The Lord's resurrection. He, he, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And so it's a promise of eternal life or life after death. Um, you shall never die. In Acts, he says, these promises are to you and your children and to all that the Lord shall call, even those who are far off. So um, the promise of the Holy Spirit was given, the empowering of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is love, joy, peace. The gifts are being able to discern uh, wisdom, knowledge, uh, prophecy, uh, the, the practical applications of things, you know, in knowing what to do and um, how to discern what's going on also the promises uh the promise that jesus has given us in uh, john 14 i go to prepare a place for you a mansion a real home i mean how many of you don't like the place you're living right now or you, you can surely think of a few ways you'd like to improve that place you know buy a new curtain a new pillow a new couch a new something well god has made a mansion for us he said let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. This is John 14, uh, 1 through 4. You know, a lot of us have been waiting a long time for Jesus to come back. Um, we've been trying to discern the times, and is this the tribulation or the, the pre-tribulation, or are we getting close to the rapture, or, or Jesus coming back? Um, you know, I don't know what you, how much you listen to the news or how much you pay attention. I don't really pay a lot of attention. But even in not paying attention, I see a lot of things lining up just the way that they're prophesied to line up. Uh, because I pay more of attention to the Word of God, and I see, yeah, the world is starting to match what the Word says here. Here's the, the ocean. The things in the ocean are dying. Here's the, here's the new council. Here's the peace treaty. Here's the this. Here's the that. We may be, like some have said, closer to the return of the Lord than we might think. And you see all the people dying these days. I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, I see a lot of people dying. and you know They're too young to die. Um, they're checking out. Uh, I believe that the Lord's return is soon. And so those mansions are pretty real. You know, uh, I know we can't comprehend it. Don't even trouble yourself trying to figure out, I can't think this, I can't comprehend this. Don't worry about that. Just read your Bible, know that it's true, and do what you can comprehend. Act on, agree with, abide, embrace what you, what you can. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. Well, that's good because I sure don't want to stay here forever. Now, he gives us the promise of peace and inclusion um, so that we're not alienated and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, let's see where he says, um, 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, in other words, they were kind of you know, name-calling each other, labeling each other, uh, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God, without God in the world. There's still a lot of people without God in the world. Lost is the word that describes them. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, creating in himself one new man, um, that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So this, we're now included. That's a promise, a promise of inclusion as opposed to exclusion, a promise of hope, a promise of rest in Hebrews chapter 4. There's a rest to the believer. Um, but going back to the guys who don't have God, I got a couple of questions you might want to write down and ask your friends if they don't believe in the promises of God, if they believe in themselves, if they believe in um, fear and worry and they believe that they got to take care of themselves. They believe in the law. They believe they have to earn their salvation. Just ask them, what does your God promise you? My God promises me eternal life, peace, hope, joy, a future, forgiveness. Um, Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Uh, I, Jeremiah, I will restore health to you and healing to your wounds. Um, you will no longer be called outcast. Um, I've come to heal your broken heart, Isaiah 61. Um, this is what my God does. Uh, what does your God do? Does your God bring you those kinds of promises? Deliverance of the captives from the, from the grip of the terrible one, Isaiah 49. Yeah, 
Come unto me, I will give you rest. Those are the promises of my God. What does your idol give you? What real benefits does your idol give you? Eternal life or an endless life of emptiness and broken promises. The law is like, you know, for some of us, we have to understand the law is like a big eraser that tries to wipe out the promises of God with the word I don't deserve and puts performance and and conditions in their place. Um, But the condition, the one condition to receive the promise of God is to answer the call of God. And Jesus said, follow me. I really can't recommend enough that you will read your Bible, read the New Testament, read about what God has to say, um, how he treated the people. Um, Was it about grace? Was it about law? Was he mad at them for breaking the law? Did he scold them? What did he hold them responsible? Did he teach them? Did he love them? Did he forgive them? What did he do? Pay attention to what Jesus did because Jesus is the express image of God on earth. Um, again, you know, without the promises of God, without the knowing that God is God cannot lie, we have no hope in this world. The promises are good. The promises are true. So I'm going to encourage you tonight to meditate. What are some of the promises you have in your life? Did God promise you that he would, is he going to stay with you? Or is he going to leave you and forsake you? Is he going to leave you high and dry, set you up and abandon you, come through for you? Um, The devil would always try to rearrange the thoughts, the perceptions, to get us to believe that somehow God didn't come through, God failed, but Jesus never fails. Uh, Some other things that God has promised us, like when you get to heaven, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more sorrow, uh, no more confusion, no more pain. How about no more injustice? Won't that be a nice one that I don't have to, and there'll be, there's, you know, things will be made right. A lot of people are ripped off, lied about, falsely accused, set up, abused on this earth. And our recourses are limited because so many of the systems of this world are already controlled by the enemy, including court systems. So to get justice in this world is like really an act of God, not the typical everyday ordinary thing you'd expect in a court. It's now so whacked out that if you accidentally get justice, it is an act of God. And so this world cannot give us justice, and only God can give us justice. So you continue, if someone treats you, mistreats you at work, um, abuses you, takes advantage of you, falsely accuses you, um, oppresses you, misuses you, mistreats you, um, is jealous of you, you know, sets you up, gets you in trouble, um, and they get by with it, I want you to just keep forgiving them. Just say, Lord, here's another crime that was committed against me. I'm just going to forgive them and give it to you. So it's all about wonderful opportunities here to love, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in the grace, the mercy, the truth of God, to know the truth. And don't be tricked uh, when the devil takes parts of the gospel, even uses parables and scriptures uh, in your favorite church setting and preaches to you a gospel of works and law. Because bottom line, Jesus said that the wolves would come in in sheep's clothing. I'm sure that would include dressing up like pastors. And so not all of them, of course, but bottom line, here's the deal. By their fruits, you shall know them. If it brings peace and joy and rest and and assurance and comfort, it's from God. If it brings anxiety, fear, stress, worry, and more work, 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 work. 
It's from the devil. Anybody got anything you want to say to me tonight? All right. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap it up, and I'd like to do a couple things real quick with a couple of commercials. Next week, um, Tuesday, the Lord willing, uh, what day is that? Tuesday, the, what's today? The 9 plus 7 is 14 already next Tuesday. You're kidding me? Oh. Well, anyway, we're going to have Reuben David with us. Reuben David is an awesome Bible teacher. Uh, he's been doing a bunch of series on the end of the world and times, uh, revelation, um, and what's going on this, these days in our culture with the, with the news, with the aligning of nations, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to be doing a, a program with him, uh, on that Tuesday. And then after that, I would like to do this. We've kind of trained you in the wrong direction. I know we've done a lot of talking, talk, 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 talk. But I would like to turn Rescue Radio into a call-in counseling program where you can call in and talk to me anonymously about what's going on in your world. Counseling. Um, same things you do if you came to my office or if you talked to me on the phone um, to look at, examine the lies, the problems, um, go to the roots, da-da-da. And get freedom, deliverance, inner healing, strengthening. This is really, truly where I believe Rescue Radio is to go. And we've done a lot of teaching. And um, either you, I'm te- I might be preaching to the choir, which I hope I'm not. And I know some of you are so kind. You actually listen to me on your iPods as you're going here and there and being maybe hopefully be encouraged. Um, but I, I really believe that this is, we want to get, boots on the ground so if you know of someone including maybe yourself who needs counseling doesn't have the money to do it but is willing to do it on the radio and it can be anonymous you don't have to give me your name i mean god knows your name then that's what i really want to do so uh we're going to try to transition over into that in the next couple of weeks we'll have guests from time to time however so please 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 Seek the Lord with me on this. Pray about this. I know this is what God wants. I know the devil does not want it. And, um, of course, he would stop or try to stop what he doesn't want. But I know God wants it. So you be blessed tonight. Anybody got a parting comment, question? All right. Well, listen, um, got the Lord be with you. Call in counseling. That's what we want to go for. And be encouraged tonight, Father. I just want to thank you for the promises. I thank you that you're coming back very soon. I thank you that in you everything is yes and amen. Not maybe and sort and kind of and I hope so. But in you is yes and amen. So let the yeses and the amens and the love of God um, be upon our lives that we can walk in the fullness of your what you died to give us, the abundant life you died to give us, and not be eating just the crumbs from under the table. Truly feasting with you in the midst, even in the midst of our enemies. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Be blessed, everyone, and good night. I have an emergency. What is your location?
for your soul. 